Hi, you're listening to my mom, Kat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? Hey, my name is Kat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I hope this show is the pep talk that you need as a mom, a reminder that what you do every day is life-changing and that it matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in this world, God chose you to be the mother of your children because you are unique and amazing And he has called you and he will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly, and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. So today we're talking about finding hope in the midst of financial frustration. And we're chatting with my friend, Erin Odom. You might be familiar with her blog, The Humbled Homemaker. Erin and I are going to talk about the highs and lows of her family's financial journey, the lessons that she learned along the road, and some practical steps that you can take today to walk in financial freedom. But first, I want to talk to you about my favorite new time saver. Now, I don't know about you, but the fall comes with a whole lot of craziness. There's crazy schedules and crazy responsibility and crazy homework. And it's just an uphill battle to fight for calm, at least for me. And I can feel like I'm really just falling short in so many areas. But when I can get our family around the table and get good food in them and not have to stress about the meal planning. Y'all, that is the biggest win ever. And that's why I love PrepDish. It's a super cost-effective weekly meal planning service. And they send me a meal plan and a shopping list and the specific directions for prepping that week's meals so that basically each night making a healthy homemade dinner is super fast. And it's pretty much as easy as ordering pizza because I do all the work on the weekend in about an hour. And not only that, but Prep Dish has connected their shopping list with Instacart. So if you have Instacart in your area, meal planning and shopping is literally done in a couple of clicks. And you can use all your extra time and energy to hang out with your kids and to enjoy some peace and calm, maybe read them a book or watch a movie. Now, the folks at Prep Dish want to give you a free two-week trial of their service. So just head to inspiredtoaction.com forward slash Prep Dish. And did I mention that all their meal options are super healthy and they make you feel good about what you're putting on the table? They have actually a variety of different options. They have gluten-free, paleo, and dairy-free options. So save some time, save some stress, and head over to inspiredtoaction.com forward slash prep dish and get your free two-week trial. All right, y'all, let's jump into our chat today with Erin Odom. Erin, thank you so much for being on the Inspired to Action podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Kat. It's great to chat. I know. We chat a lot on Voxer, but this is our first time, I think, well, I think you've actually been on the podcast a while back, or maybe that was just the How They Blog podcast. Actually, I don't remember. I need to look that up. Um, I think it was both, but it was was years ago. It was a long time ago. So I'm excited (laughs) to have you on. Now, I had the privilege of reading your book, and um, I just want to say it was such a joy to read it. I I didn't necessarily expect to be kind of as captivated by it as as I was, because I love how you really weave your story into just really practical and helpful and wise tips and ideas for those reading it. And just your story just kept me engaged and it really made me think uh, about a lot. And so I just want to say from the outset that I, I really, I really enjoyed it and just want to say well done. I know this is your first traditionally published book. So here's just your fist bump saying good job. Oh, good job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for reading it. I really appreciate that. So for those listening that might not be familiar with you, I'd love for you to just give them a little bit of a Erin Odom 101. All right. Well, my name is Erin and I'm married to Will. We've been married for a little over 12 years now. We have three little redheaded girls. They're nine, six and a half, almost seven, five. And then we have our surprise little boy that came um, February 2017, right in the middle of going through book revisions the same week that my book revision was due. Because he needed more to do. Exactly. So God surprised us with him. And um, we live outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been blogging at thehumbledhomemaker.com since 2011. And that's what my husband and I do full time now. He is, we like to call him my manager. He keeps me in order and line, organized. And um, I just 
am publishing now my first traditionally published book, More Than Just Making It, Hope for the Heart of the Financially Frustrated. So you haven't always been the entrepreneurial family that you are now. You actually started out pretty differently. So I'd love to just back up a little bit and share kind of some of your story. And it starts out on the mission field. Am I correct? Right. So my husband and I, we actually met in 2003, right after I got out of college in Costa Rica. He and I were both missionaries there. I lived there for a year. He lived there for two. And we met there. Um, A couple years later, we got married and we planned to go back to the mission field. So that was, let's fast forward to 2008. We had had our first baby. We were going through missionary training early 2009, we um, went to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and we the missions organization sent us there in order to prepare to go to Mexico just because it was a metropolitan area where we were supposed to be going. Um, during that time, we went through some big struggles in our marriage. Um, his parents announced their divorce after 38 years. And long story short, we had to leave the mission field and come back to the United States. And that really started a downward spiral um, in our marriage and our lives, just very overwhelmed, depressed, and did not have enough money to live on. That's not how you expected your life to go. Not at all. Not at all. My dream from the time I had been a little girl was to be a missionary and some country somewhere. I really didn't care when I was a little girl. And then when I was in college, um, I studied Spanish and journalism because I love to write, but I also love different cultures and I love the Spanish language. And I really thought that I'm going to spend my life in Latin America and that God had called me to missions and that's what I would be doing. And so I was really at the pinnacle of achieving that lifelong dream. We were just weeks away from moving to Mexico. We had you know, sold most of our possessions. And when we went to Canada, we had a house on the market where we were living that would not sell. And the missions agency let us leave because it was um, being rented out. We had no idea that it would sit on the market though for four more years. It was during the recession. And so, um, we, what we thought was going to be our dream ended up being what seemed like a big nightmare at the time. Mm, Yeah. So, so then you're, no longer on the mission field and you're having to um, get jobs and, and, and remind me, you could not live in the place where you had the house. And so then you were having to have a couple housing bills, correct? Right. So for a time we had, we went through this for about four years. So for a time we had renters in the house and then they would move out and we would try to sell the house and the house wouldn't sell. Really for about four years, we had a total of three or four showings the entire time. Wow. Our house, um, by the the end of that four-year period, it was worth um, about 40% of what we owed on it. And so we didn't go back to that house because my husband's parents were um, going through the divorce and it just was better for us to be near my parents since we were struggling in our own marriage and they could help us get back on our feet. Mm -hmm. So when we had renters, things were okay. We weren't making money on the house, nor did we intend to. But then when our renters would move out, we would scramble for a while. We would try to have the house on the market. It wouldn't sell. And then finally, at the end of that four-year period, we had a renter who moved out unexpectedly, broke his lease. We had a very small amount of savings, and we spent our entire savings trying to save the house. Wow. So... This took you to a place that you kind of never expected to be. You ended up having to do something that you never thought you'd have to do and Mm -hmm. felt very uncomfortable with the process of that. So I think you probably know what I'm talking about. And I'd love for you to kind of take us a little bit into that part of your journey. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, during that four-year period, we were struggling so much. My husband was a teacher in the state of North Carolina, and teachers in North Carolina aren't paid very well. So we um, just could not make ends meet. I was doing trying to do a lot of different odd jobs because I wanted to stay home with our daughter. And then during that time, I got pregnant with our second daughter, and uh, that was a surprise. And then I got pregnant with our You've third daughter. You've had a couple daughter. surprises, haven't you? We actually have had three <laughs> out of our four. So we got pregnant with our third 
third daughter. And so during this whole time, and you know, in the beginning of the first year or so, we didn't know what we were doing wrong because it would come to the end of the month and we would just look at our bank account and say, okay, we can't go to the grocery store. We have to try to make ends meet. And especially when renters were moved out, you know, we had the mortgage, we had the rent, we could not make our finances work. So we took a financial planning class. And at that point, the, the uh, financial planning teacher said, you don't have enough money to live on. And it had really never occurred to us before. We really didn't know, you know, we were a young married couple, more or less. We didn't know that we didn't have enough money to live on. We thought that we were doing something wrong. And we had made some bad choices during our newlywed years. Buying the house was one of them. So to dive deeper into the story, I ended up... um, applying for food stamps. We um, just barely ever qualified for food stamps. And that was because the side jobs that I was working that month, I ended up making more. And that's just, you know, God's hand in everything. Um, Other months I would have qualified. We ended up having WIC though, which is kind of a step up from food stamps and um, Medicaid for pregnancies, Medicaid for our children. So we were on government aid, which is something that I never imagined. It was something that um, I was prideful about. And I didn't realize my pride until it was during that season that God really showed that to me. He showed me my pride and He really humbled me and He softened my heart towards people that live on government aid. As well, we ended up losing the house. Mm. And in the eighth month of my third pregnancy, we had to walk into bankruptcy court and I had to declare bankruptcy. So one of my favorite things about your book is just how you share the journey that you went on internally through this whole process uh, about the humility that you feel like God kind of built into you. Uh, What are kind of some of the steps that I don't know if steps is the right word, but Take us a little bit, I guess, into that journey, some of the pride that you had, and then some of the humility that God brought in and the realizations that you made along the way. Mm-hmm. So at the start of the book, I'm walking into the food stamps office to apply. And I really, I, I wanted food stamps because I wanted to be able to feed our family more food and, and better food. But at the same time, I had this internal battle the whole time I was sitting there waiting to know if we were going to qualify. And my battle was something like, you know, I, I'm above this. I was that straight A student in school. I always, you know, crossed my T's and dotted my I's and I've always paid my taxes. And this is not something that could good Christian girls in the South do. I mean, can you even feel my pride in that? Like what I'm telling you now, it's awful. And just step by step by step, God just crumbled that pride. He crumbled it through um, people in the government aid office, through other recipients, and also through the workers who loved on me and cared for me and treated me with dignity when I felt so ashamed and so afraid. And, you know, the other people that were on government aid, I learned that it's not just the stereotype of people that don't work um, or people that are cheating the system, that there are some people that are really hard workers that have done everything they've possibly can try, but they still can't make ends meet and they just need some help getting back on their feet. So that was a process where God just continued to, to humble my pride in that area. And also he would remind me, my husband and I had been, you know, we met on the mission field. We had been on mission trips to other parts of the world before we had kids. We'd been to, you know, in an orphanage in China, we had been in huts in different places in Africa and other places in Latin America. And so there were times where I had this internal pity party of, you know, woe is me. There's people that um, are in our season of life and, you know, they get to go out in boats on, on the lake in the weekend. And here we are, we can barely afford Chick-fil-A once a month. And it was during that time, it was like the Holy Spirit would say, Aaron, you know how most of the rest of the world lives. Mm -hmm. So good. You are rich. You are rich. Even when we were poor in the United States, and I use that term very loosely, we were rich compared to the rest of the world. And during that time, he was also richly building his relationship with us. He was showing us that, you know, whether in want or, you know, in plenty, he provides, he meets for, he meets our needs, that we can be content regardless of the circumstances. And I remember standing there in my kitchen and opening my pantry and opening my refrigerator at the end of the month and saying, okay, God, we don't have much food. 
We have, you know, eggs and cheese and tortillas from Wick. What can I make? I can make some some quesadillas for supper tonight. And I remember it was like he impressed upon me. It was so easy for you to say that you had faith in me and that you trusted me when you had everything you wanted. Because I grew up like an upper middle class America, always with the private schools. And you know, I had a pretty um, easy childhood. But it was like he he was impressing upon me. That was so easy for you to say you trusted me. Now, when you don't have everything you think you should have, and when you do have to look at a near empty refrigerator and pantry at the end of the month, that is when your faith is made real. That is when you you really learn how to trust me. What I love so much about your book is that, you know, regardless of where you are, you know, for those of you listening right now, regardless of where you are financially, this is such a powerful book to read because if you are feeling financially frustrated, then it's a great book to read for somebody who has been there and knows how you're feeling and has, you know, ideas for how to step, walk through that, how to journey through that. But for people who might not be in that situation right now, you might think, oh, maybe this isn't, you know, I'm not financially frustrated, so maybe I don't need to read the book. But what I got out of this book so much is I was able to watch you who, you know, I just identify with, well, because I know you, but, you know, for those listening, even if you're just getting to know Erin, you may have come from the same background as her, or you may have the same life expectations as, as she does. And you took me into that journey. And, you know, it's kind of like, do you, have you ever listened to Adventures in Odyssey growing up? Mm-hmm. Okay, they have the, well, I forget what it's called, They're like the time machine thing where you then go back into like the Bible story or whatever, and you get to experience firsthand. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what I felt like. I was like, I've never really thought about a lot of these things before. I've never thought about how I would feel if I had to apply for WIC. I never thought about, you know, just all these different things. And it just brought up so many different um, it challenged maybe some of the thoughts that I had, and it built so much compassion and realization that we are all in really, you know, spiritually in the same spot. And, mm. you know, we, we need to, it's all level playing field spiritually, and we need to walk with so much compassion and mm. um, for, for people in different seasons. And I know so many people that have been in the same situation as you uh, walked through, and it just allowed me to, to get more insight into that and to, to have so much more compassion. So I just love how you really brought that into the book. It's not just do this, do that. It's your story. And it really brings the reader into that. And I love how you did that. Well, I really praise God. You know, when I was walking through this, Kat, I prayed and I said, God, if we ever make it through this season, please will you use me to somehow change the shame and the stigma of the poor? Mm. Will you help me to shatter that? Because... I had this stereotype that I think a lot of us have that, and I didn't even realize my pride in it all. And I, my prayer is that this book will bring hope and encouragement to those who are struggling, but it will also build empathy in those who aren't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you've done that for sure. I actually kind of had a very weird growing up. So uh, my mom passed away when I was born. So I grew up with my dad and he was a mailman. And then uh, we always lived near my grandparents and I would always stay with them on the weekends and in the summers. So my dad was a mailman and, you know, we we didn't never really got anything fancy. I don't know where we would fall in the spectrum, maybe, you know, right smack dab of middle class, maybe slightly middle lower. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we bought generic whatever. I never had like the name brand clothes or anything super fancy, but we always had whatever we needed. And then on Mm -hmm. the weekends and in the summers, I would stay with my grandparents who had like sailboats and, you know, they had a lot. They never spoiled us, but they had a lot. And so it's just been interesting because I feel perfectly comfortable, you know, say at a smoke-filled bowling alley um, <laughs> or or wherever or in a country club. And mm. I, I love how, as I read your book, I was like, this is even stretching my experience, you know, the and, and I also grew up in what is actually the poorest city in the U.S. down in South Texas. And so I grew up with, you know, friends who were definitely struggling, maybe didn't have running water in their home. And mm. despite the, you know, broad experience I've had with different financial situations, you really brought it home 
for me and really allowed me to step into the shoes instead of kind of looking from the outside. And so um, anyway, I just found that so profound and just really wanted uh, everybody listening to not check out if you don't feel financially financially frustrated, because I think it's a powerful, powerful book um, for for everyone to read. But for those who are feeling that way, who feel like they are, are struggling, uh, maybe it's a source of tension in their marriage. I'd love mm-hmm. to hear some of the steps that you took to kind of walk out of that, whether those are super practical things or those are mindset things. How did you mm-hmm. begin that upward journey? Well, I think the the first thing was really discovering the root cause of our financial frustration. We didn't know. I mean, it, it seems so obvious now looking back, but we really didn't know why we were struggling so much, especially when our house was being rented out and that part was taken care of. So when we met with the financial counselor and he said, you have an income problem, basically he was our teacher from Financial Peace University. He um, came to our home, he and his wife one day, and they poured through all of our finances with us, all of our bank statements and, you know, the mortgage and everything. And he said, you don't have a spending problem, you have an income problem. And it was like somebody lit a fire under me. It was like, okay, well, now that we know what the problem is, now we can fix the problem because we didn't know what it was before. So I would say a big thing is determining, do you have an income problem? Do you really not have enough to live or do you have a spending problem? Is the source of your financial frustration, maybe you have a lot of debt from credit cards, um, you know, or you're overspending. Uh, maybe you don't have debt, but just at the end of the month, you say, okay, where's all, where did all the money go? Because you're not tracking what you're spending. Once you know that, then you're going to be able to start to climb out of that financial frustration. That's such a simple point, but that I never really thought about. <laughs> you know, I, I guess I always think about it in the sense of how can I spend less? But that's not actually the issue. Actually, that's probably not the issue of a significant number of people, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially as maybe a wife wants to stay home or the jobs that are available to her don't really make up for the daycare that they would have to get. Mm-hmm. That's such a great point. Exactly. And so for us, we had an income problem. And like you said, the the jobs that I could get, you know, at the time I was thinking, okay, I could teach too, or I could work at a newspaper as a reporter because that was what my degree and my background was in. But both of those things would barely cover the cost of daycare, especially when we started adding more and more kids to our family. So I started to think creatively and what is something that I could do from home? Something that really marries my passions, my personality, my skill set, and could help bring in an income. And that is when I started my blog. And it is what really helped turn us around. And my husband and I run it together now. It, it was totally, I can see God's hand in it every step of the way. So I would tell your listeners that, and I kind of have step by step on how you can look at it in the book. In the book, I have it laid out, you know, here are some things that, you know, that might point to you having an income problem or a spending problem. And if you want, we can talk about some of those here, but um, they need to figure out what is that root cause. Mm, that's so good. Now, for those listening, I, you know, was your blog, was it an instant financial success or was that a journey that you went on as well? It was a journey as well. And one thing I tell people too, I've had a lot of people say, oh, you make money blogging. I want to make money blogging too. I say, okay, well, hold up. That could be what you're called to do. And it could fit your passion and your personality and your skill set. But it might be something totally different. So there's one chapter in my book called Creating More Income, where I look at different avenues that people can make money from home if they want to stay home with their kids, if they do have an income problem. But for me, I tried different things at first that did not fit my personality um, or my passions. Like? like um, being a virtual assistant for another blogger. I am not naturally organized and you have to be really organized to be a virtual assistant. And um, I did it and I ended up quitting and she and I are really good friends now. But I realized 
this is not going to work for us. For the time, the money it brought in was awesome and it was God's provision for our family, but it didn't work long term. Something else I thought about was, what if I learn how to sew and then I can open an Etsy shop? Well, I don't even really like sewing. I'm not good with my hands. I'm not crafty, you know? And so there were things like that that I tried and I may have made a little bit of money at the time. You know, something else I tried before I even had kids before we went through the season was I tried to sell um, Avon. Do you know what Avon is? Like Mm kind of like Mary Kay, but a step down. Mm -hmm. So I tried to sell that. But my problem is... I hated being salesy to people. And so I didn't tell them, you know, I would tell them when there was a sale coming up. So I would say, no, don't buy this now. Wait two weeks and it'll be half price. I wasn't making any money like at all. I had to spend all of my money in order to to keep my sales uh, representation up or whatever I needed to do. So anyway, I would tell people, you know, you've got to figure out what is that thing that you're going to be able to start and keep on doing and not burn out on. But for, um, for me, I started my blog and 2011. At the time, I was doing a bunch of other side jobs at the same time. So I was freelancing for my local newspaper. I was um, teaching some homeschool kids Spanish. And I was also tutoring at an elementary school a couple afternoons a week. And my mom would keep our little girl. And uh, my best friend, I only had had read like two blogs at that point. I don't know where I was living, but I... (laughs) I did not know blogs existed. I started reading like one or two blogs very sporadically after I had um, my second daughter. So this time I had a two-year-old and then I had a baby. And my best friend from college, she said, you know, Erin, um, I know you like these blogs you're reading. Did you know that women can actually make money blogging? And I was like, really? You know, I didn't know. And around the same time, I think it was the same week, the newspaper editor where I was freelancing told me the same thing. He said, I think you'd be good at starting a blog. So I did not have any money to invest. You know, if I had money, if your listeners are wanting to make money blogging because they think that might help cure their income problem, if they have any little money at all, they can invest and start out at a much better place than I did. I didn't even have money to buy a domain name. So I started a free blog at a blogspot site, thehumbledhomemaker.blogspot.com <laughs> because it was 100% free and I kind of did it on a whim and it was a hobby. In the back of my head, I thought maybe, 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 maybe one day I can start making money on this. But I was afraid to tell anyone. In fact, I blogged for six months very sporadically and didn't even tell anyone. So it took about two years, I think, before I started making more money than my husband was making teaching. Now, granted, teachers in North Carolina don't make a lot of money. So it wasn't like I was rolling in money <laughs> at that point either. But then after that, it was a more and more of a viable income source for our family. And we saw God really start to turn our situation around. Um, my husband kept teaching up until this past December, and then we decided for us to run this together. It, it sounds like one of the key things that you did in that whole process was just trying things and then being willing to pivot, like being willing to quit things. You know, you talked about, maybe I'll do this Etsy thing. And then you're like, that's not quite it. And being willing to pivot. And that's, you know, I think that is so crucial because my personality tends to be, I'm going to try this and I'm committed for life, (laughs) even if it's not a good fit. And then, you know, and then you're, you know, you're just doing something that you're either not good at or that is sucking the life out of you. And Mm -hmm. I love how, you know, you share all these different ideas that you had and all these different things that you tried until you found the one that fit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such such a huge thing as you know, for those listening, you know, as you're trying to maybe look for creative ways to, to generate income, you know, don't be afraid to try things. Don't be afraid mm-hmm. to test your different ideas and recognize that it's a test and it doesn't need to be you're not joining the army or getting married. You can you can pivot to figure out the thing that you actually um, like to do. And that, you know, kind of fits in that sweet spot of that you enjoy and that's generating an income for your family. Mm-hmm. Although it might not, you might not find in the beginning, it might just need to generate income. Exactly. Yeah. So good. If you're really, really, really struggling. So one thing I talk about in my book is don't compromise your morals for a job. And I give some examples of um, where we could have compromised ours. In the beginning, you may have to do some work that is not like your passion until, like you said, you find what 
what you can do that is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're really, really struggling, it may be time for mom to go back to work or at least get a part-time waitressing job at night. But if mom's passionate about, you know, sewing, then do that, but also see if you can little by little um, sew enough items that you can open a store Mm -hmm. where you can sell things. And then, you know, put a lot of prayer into it and do all you can to turn that into a more profitable business. And um, I also mentioned in my book, there are several resources that I love and they have paid versions and free versions. I would recommend if you're just starting, look at the free versions, but Brilliant Business Moms, I Bloom in Business and Christy Wright's Business Boutique are all three um, networks for Christian women in business. And so if you have listeners out there who say, okay, I, I think I might have an income problem. I need to create more income for my family. Where are some resources to help me start? And those three are some that I highly recommend. Excellent. I'll include those links in the show notes. So if you're listening, go to inspiredaction.com and look for this episode. And I'll include the links there. Okay, so let's talk about the other aspect. If if people have a spending problem. So mm-hmm. when we were in college, we went to a church that was very missions oriented. We actually still go to that church. And uh, they highly encouraged people to get out of college debt as quickly as possible. And so when, after I graduated from college, um, I actually was a dorm director while my husband finished grad school. And so we made like this nothing amount of money. And it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. When we got married, um, he moved in with 600 women because I was the dorm director. And so <laughs> he moved into the dorm with me. That's a joke uh, that we always uh, laugh about. But so then when, when once we got, um, he graduated and we got our first, he got his first real job in Houston. We wanted to get out of college debt as fast as possible. And we had a good bit of it between him and me and graduate school and all of that. And so we committed to try to live at the same level we lived in that dorm and and using as much of his uh, paycheck as possible. But it was so hard because the job that he got was in a city called the Woodlands. It's just outside of Houston. And anytime a city starts with the word the, you know Mm. that it's going to be kind of a fancy place. And so we we joke, you know, we'd say, oh, we live in the Woodlands and people be like, oh. And I'm like, no, we bring in the bottom end of the socioeconomic ladder. (laughs) My car did not have a, a muffler on it. And so we're like, puttering next to Bentleys and Jaguars and, you know, our friends were had all these fancy houses and all these things. And we lived in this. We literally had to put the lids on pots as we cooked because roaches would crawl down the wall oh. while we cooked. And oh. it was disgusting. Oh, no. So um, so anyway, all that to say that was probably our biggest challenge. But we loved that. Like we looked, we look fondly on that season of our life when we just did that. We had this clear goal of what we were trying to accomplish and it helped us be okay that we weren't living like everybody else around mm-hmm. us. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm tempted to just go into all these fun stories, but I'm not going to. Uh, how do we, as we're trying to meet these different financial goals, whether it's just to, to get out of what we're in, to pay off debt, whatever, how do we not, you know, struggle with the idea of keeping up with the Joneses? Mm-hmm. Well, saying goodbye to the Joneses is something I'm very passionate about. I think that my my parents really instilled it in me. My dad, he was he had a good job. He was um, like a corporate director at a hospital. My mom was a stay at home mom for most of my childhood. But neither of them had grown up with a whole lot. So they were very naturally frugal. And one thing that my parents always taught me was, you know, we are friends with people that live in multi-million dollar homes and we're friends with people that live in, you know, mobile homes and they are all the same. And we're not trying to keep up with people with either of them. Um, you know, we love people because they're people and there is no reason to try to keep up with the Joneses. They really taught me to focus on the eternal. It's very hard in our culture though. You know, when we first got married, I, one of the mistakes we made was buying a house. Like after we'd been married a year, the house that we later lost, um, it seemed like everyone around us owned a home, mm-hmm. even though we had all only been married for like a year and most of their homes were bigger than our homes. And so we wanted to own a house too. And, you know, we were looking back, trying to keep up with the Joneses, you know, just different couples in our newlywed class at church. Um, one thing that I would suggest to people if they're really struggling is just pray for God to give them contentment. And to help recognize how he has provided 
every and everything they have. So when we were living on a low income, this was really crucial for me. So I had a pity party a lot. And as God continued to soften my heart, he started helping me recognize anything and everything in my day as being provision from him. And um, I think when we can flip our mind around and say, oh man, you know, like I don't have a 3000 square foot house, but I do have a 2000 square foot house or 1500 or whatever it may be. And I have a roof over my head and I have, you know, food. I may not have steak every night, but I have chicken or I have rice and beans, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, God is meeting my needs. So I would just ask God, for you to cultivate contentment in your life. As well, I will say that friends are important. Um, This is not something that I really cover a lot in my book, but it's something that I realized really after writing my book is that if you have a lot of friends that are just trying to keep up with each other who are very competitive with their possessions, I'm not saying to be unkind to them, but it might be time to look into getting some new friends that have the same worldview as you and the goal in mind to be content regardless of your circumstances and to say goodbye to the Joneses. Mm. That's so good because I feel like contentment is something that follows you no matter how much you have. You know, the mm-hmm. more you get, uh, you still want you know, compare yourself to others. So if you can find that contentment in difficult seasons of your life, then you're going to have that contentment when things turn around. And mm-hmm. if you don't have that contentment in difficult seasons of your life, you're still not going to be content even when things do turn around. And that's just, you know, no matter what season of life we're in right now, no matter what our situation is, that contentment is such an important thing to build into our lives. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I think contentment is really crucial regardless of what your financial frustration is. Mm-hmm. So it's crucial if you have an income problem, because if you don't have a whole lot, uh, you need to pray God will make you content in the little that you have. But if you have a spending problem, it's also really important because if you're trying to curb spending, when you can practice contentment, you are going to be more likely um, to curb spending. So for example, um, If you are really deep in debt, it may not be the best time to buy a new car. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, if you really need a new vehicle, maybe you buy a caravan instead of an Odyssey. Mm -hmm. I'm just throwing that out there. We drive a caravan. Um, You know, we, when our financial situation started turning around, we were able to buy that caravan in cash. Well, then, um, because the one way we were able to buy in cash is that um, we used part of what I was making on the blog, but we also um, had another van that had been totaled, but it had been totaled for cosmetic reasons. It was going to cost more than it was worth to fix it. So we asked the insurance company, what happens if we just want to keep it? It's ugly, but we can still drive it. And they said, well, you can keep it and we'll pay you money, but we'll pay you $500 less than we would have if we had just taken it away. So we ended up keeping that vehicle and driving it for, I think, three more years, even though it had the back end completely dented in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but because we did that, we were able to use some of that money and, and put it towards paying cash for the van. And then three years later, we were able to use money we had saved up, um, plus sell that van uh, for more money than we thought we could sell it for and buy him a truck in cash. So... It probably it could have been embarrassing, and uh, granted, it probably was more embarrassing for my husband than me because he drove it around to drive around that beat up van for three years. But now we don't have a car payment, right? So we're not lying awake at night thinking, "Oh my goodness, how am I going to you know pay off this car?" Especially if finances get tight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's this quote that I read that says, the most important thing is to be able at any moment to sacrifice what you are for what you will become. And while that's mm-hmm. kind of like a personal quote, I think it's true of our finances as well. You know, you you guys had a common goal. Hey, we want to turn this around. We don't want to have this added stress on our marriage, this added stress in our lives. We want to shift our financial situation. And so it it you were able to sacrifice whatever, you know, pride that it took to drive that car um, to turn it around because you knew what you wanted to be. When, when we were trying to pay off those college loans, we lived again in Houston and I worked 
about 45 minutes away, and uh, we decided not to fix the air conditioning in our truck during mm. the summer in Houston. I don't know if you've ever been oh to Houston. I l- what? You know, if, if those of you who are in Houston, I love you and I love Houston. I loved my time there. But weather wise, it's like the armpit of Texas. It is so humid and muggy. And I would mm-hmm. go to work and I, like I would have this massive back sweat by the time I got home in rush hour traffic. <laughs> and I had to, you know, have my clothes dry cleaned and washed all the time. It was nasty. Oh. But we were so committed to our goal and it we almost it almost made it a fun thing because we were like, hey, we have this goal. We want to turn it around. And so, you know, almost like any sort of competition bonds people together, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like co- mutual competition, like people who are on a team. Uh, mm-hmm. We had this goal and it, it bonded us together and and helped us say goodbye to the Joneses and be OK that, you know, I'm sweating like crazy <laughs> or he had a Super Bowl party and had friends over to watch the Super Bowl. And we it occurred to us later, but we opened our armoire and we had a 13 inch television. <laughs> <laughs> 13 inch that's smaller than like a computer a now or an like... ipad and it didn't even occur to us at the time but we had this goal and so it you know in a sense helpfully blinded us to what we didn't have and i think that's um so helpful just to to be able to say goodbye to the joneses by having that mutual goal like y'all did about turning your finances around um mm-hmm. what are some just really, especially when it comes to people who are maybe spending more than they should, mm-hmm. what are some practical steps that you took, even though that wasn't necessarily your issue? I'm sure you mm-hmm. explored that option first, because that's usually what we think of. Mm-hmm. What are some practical things maybe that you did that you feel like helped you in that, especially maybe as your finances turned around for you to make the most of that? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say... Um... And I will say it wasn't our issue at that time, but one thing I I mentioned in my book, so if people are reading it and they say, oh, okay, well, I have an income problem and I would never struggle with spending because frugal is my middle name. Well, I say you better beware because once our situation did turn around, we started um, overspending with like eating out, especially when I was under book deadlines and stuff. And so I would tell people, if you're not struggling with a spending problem right now, it doesn't mean that you'll never be tempted that way. Um, So I would say the first thing is you need to get on a budget. And budget can be one of those things that looks like a negative word to people, but it really can be freeing. For example, when we are following our budget and we know that, you know, we have, let's just say $50 in our clothing fund right now. And I need a new pair of jeans. I feel the freedom to go out and buy, you know, a $20 pair of jeans. And I don't spend a whole lot of my jeans. I don't spend $50. So I, I can do that because there's that money designated for that in the budget. But if we're not keeping track of what we're spending and we're not living on a budget and I need a new pair of jeans, I'm going to feel conflicted inside about whether or not I can spend that money because I don't know if it's there because I haven't been tracking things in a budget. So I would say that would be one of the first things is to um, sit down with your spouse and work on getting on a budget. Something else I would say that is um, sounds really simple, but it's something that I've struggled with in the past. I wrote an entire chapter on it is meal plan. We, um, you know, like I said, really struggle with eating out, especially when I have been under various deadlines. And I have seen that it's much better for our spending and for our health when I sit down and make a weekly meal plan that we can stick to, because then we have a plan of what to do with our food. It doesn't go bad and we're not tempted, you know, five o'clock. Oh, we haven't, you know, cooked. Let's go eat out and right. we don't really eat at McDonald's and stuff. So um, our kids have like gluten allergies and everything else. So when we eat out, it's, it costs, you know, a lot of money with four kids. Another thing I would say to do is that if you really feel like you have a spending problem, then seek to have weekly communication meetings with your spouse and just look at, you know, what are you spending? This is especially important if one of you is a saver and one of you is a spender, which we have in my family. Will, I talk about in the, in the book, and he's fine with me saying this, he's the spender and I'm the saver. It doesn't mean the saver is always the hero. You know, the, the spender might be like my husband who is extremely generous where I tend to want to hold on to money more. But if 
one of you is a saver and one of you are a spender, you're going to have a hard time being on the same page unless you meet regularly to communicate about your, your spending. That's so good. I think that's an important point. So if one's a saver and one's a spender, when it comes to a budget, what if somebody doesn't want to do a budget? How, how, you know, does a budget have to be keeping track of every last penny? Or are there mm-hmm. ways to make a budget more palatable to a spouse who may not be as excited about having a budget? Mm-hmm. I would say one thing to consider is putting fun money into your budget so that, yeah, let's say we're going to stick to $600 a month to eat for food, you know, groceries. But if there's a spouse that's a spender, he or she may enjoy just going to the movies ever so often. Or maybe, you know, she wants to go get a pedicure or whatever. And to not have something like that in the budget is going to make them want to spend even more probably. Mm. So we have a fun money category. And what a lot of people have found interesting is that we decided together that Will's fun money is 50% more than mine is. Will is my husband. And the reason is because he enjoys spending that fun money. He enjoys spending more than I do. And so without it, he's going to be tempted to overspend. For me, I can let that fun money build up over several months because I don't enjoy spending money. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we just give him a little bit more and it helps him to stay within the budget overall by having that extra. I love that. I love that you really thought about, again, you know, where you're at, what your personalities are, how you guys work and come up with a solution that doesn't necessarily fit into a cookie cutter of so-and-so says you need to do it exactly this way. But again, you tried things and you figured out what works for you and for your family. I think that's so, so huge. And I think your idea too about just communication is key. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to know how the financial situations that you've gone through have impacted your marriage from the lowest point to the highest point and how that's changed y'all's relationship. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to say one more thing, mm-hmm. if that's okay, that yeah, I thought your, your listeners might see as practical. I would say if your husband does not want to get on a budget and you know you you really are going to be nagging him in order to do that, which I don't suggest doing, and not to say that I've never done it myself, but I would say whatever part of the the money you do control, like say that you control all the grocery spending, then do everything in your power to be a wise steward of what you can control. Mm, that's so good. That's good. I like so that. I'm sorry. I just want to, yeah. I like that came in my head. I thought, oh, I really want to say that. So yeah. for us, when we first got married, we did not live on a strict budget. He was a spender. I was a saver. And so it was a constant struggle for us. We constantly butted heads over things. Really, Kat, when we went through a period of not having anything extra to spend, it helped us to get more on the same page mm. because we both could look at the bank account. We we knew we were not in any kind of consumer debt. We didn't have student loans or anything like that. Praise God. Um we had this huge, you know, this house note that felt huge to us at the time because we had a low income. So we were able to look and see, okay, if we wanted to spend any more, we were going to have to use credit cards and go into debt. And we were already struggling so much that it really helped my husband, who was the spender of the family, not to spend. Mm-hmm. And walking through that has helped both of us be much better stewards of our money. So now he, you know, he actually is the one that keeps up with our budget and he can see when we don't have as much to spend. He also sees when we have more to give. So something he taught me through that, you know, once our situations start turning around, he would say, hey, can we support this person going on a mission trip? Or can we give such and such, you know, like $100 towards this girl who's, you know, raising money for college? And I would say, no, what if we need the money? And he would, he has taught me that, that sometimes it's okay to spend more money. You know, we, we've always tithed and we've um, sent a small check to a missionary family every month, but it's helped our marriage grow stronger because he's been able to see my strength and saving. And I've been able to see the strength in his spending when it's spending out of generosity for others. And so really walking through that low income period um, strengthened our marriage. You know, I really love how, as you've talked about your finances and and the different seasons you've been in and the different personalities that that come into play uh, and just how much you honor him 
uh, you know, you're, as you're talking about that he's suspended, you're like, now he's okay with me sharing this. And um, you pointing, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of things that you could say that you didn't like about the way that your spouse handled money. Because, you know, I think I've heard that um, money is like one of the biggest sources of disagreements in marriage. Um, but just as you were talking about that contentment, it's, you know, I'm sure it's also powerful for y'all's marriage that you're walking in the contentment of what his actual strengths are. Instead of focusing on, oh, he's a spender, he's mm-hmm. generous and he's taught mm-hmm. me to be generous. And I love how you're doing that. And I think that's really a challenge for all of us. You know, if, if finances are something that, you know, is a source of frustration in your marriage and that you're arguing about taking that positive spin of, you know, what is my spouse really good at? How can I turn Mm -hmm. this into a positive thing and find the contentment in that? I think that's powerful because then that gets you guys on the same page Mm -hmm. and allows you to move forward. I think also realizing, you know, if your spouse is a spender and, you know, you don't even feel like he's generous, you know, he's just a spender. Um, Something that can help you be okay with that or just have more peace in that is looking at what are your weak areas. Maybe you're mm-hmm. not a spender, but maybe, you know, you're you really struggle with worry. And and maybe God is trying to cultivate, you know, trusting in God and you during this season because your spouse is spending money and you feel like things are spinning out of control and you're worrying and worrying and worrying and you just need to trust God. You know, that's been something with me too. You know, I might not struggle with spending, but I struggle with other areas of my life and realizing our own flaws really helps mm-hmm. us to give grace to other people too. Mm-hmm. So if one of your readers or listeners is saying, okay, well, that's all great that her husband's generous and my husband's not. Well, what is your husband? You know, what are some really good things about him? And what are some things that are not so good about you that he gives you grace? And that's so good. That's so good. So Aaron, if people want to grab a copy of your book, where can they find it? Where can they find you online? They can find my book. Um, they can go to more than just making it.com and they can get all the information about where to find my book there. It is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, um, Target. It's going to be sold in Target the first month. And if people awesome. continue to buy from Target, then they'll continue to stock it. So um, go to Target, see if it's there first. Um, they can also sign up if they're not ready to invest in the book and they just want some more tips on how to eat well. Well, on a budget, I have a free e-course they can sign up for at eatingwellonabudget.com or they can go to morethanjustmakingit.com and find it there. There is you know, no obligation to buy anything. It's a five-part video e-course with worksheets that will give them my very best money-saving tips on how to reduce their grocery budget. And they can find me on my blog at thehumbledhomemaker.com. I love it. I love that you even thought about the people who need your book, that they might not be in a place where they can buy it right then, but they can still glean from your wisdom and, and improve their situation. So maybe that's something they can invest in as they as they get better. That was so thoughtful. Um, Erin, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today and for sharing your story and your heart and your wisdom. And um, I, I really did enjoy reading your book. And I just thank you for the time and the wisdom that you invested in that. And to Will, too, because I know it's the whole thing has been a sacrifice for both of you. Um, <laughs> yes. So just thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kat. It was great to talk to you today. All right. You have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Oh, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show with Aaron Odom as much as I did. Now, don't forget to sign up for our email list to get all the show notes for this episode sent straight to your inbox. Just head to inspiredtoaction.com forward slash notes. And while you're there, you can also check out all of our other resources for moms. So thanks so much for joining me today. And I will see you here next time on the next episode of the Inspired to Action podcast. It's early in the morning, the house is quiet. But I've set aside this time for you. I bow before the throne of a noble king. In this place my heart begins to sing It's gonna be a good day A good day filled with His grace His grace and sweet new mercies May my thoughts obey Jesus to walk in His way 
This song is called God Day by Jen Stanbro. You can get your copy at iTunes, Amazon, or jenstanbro.com. Mm-hmm.